10. Time Lords. Celestial Intervention. A Gallifreyan Noir. What kind of colour's blue, anyway? The boy comes through my door like he has a grudge against it, smoke-eyed and pale, with a predator's smile. There's a ratty old chair in the corner of my office that I save for special occasions, like employment or sleep, and he falls into it with a boneless, theatrical slump, fingering the diamonds in his ear. I count carrots. He counts wrinkles. There is an impressive number of both. Nothing against it myself, I say, without taking my feet off my desk. With certain clients, you've got to go easy, let them talk around the point until they get there of their own accord. There is a manic sort of fright to this kid, beneath his gems and his grin, and if I spook him, they'll both walk right out of the door. I've been robbed, he says. Something's been stolen, and I want you to find out who took it, why it was taken, everything you can. I'm not celestial intervention anymore, I say, as if he needs the hint. The retirement certificate on the wall could have told him that, and the dead flies in my inbox could have verified it. That was an open and shut case, the first this office had seen in a while. The client has a cute brow. It doesn't deserve the furrow he puts in it. But you used to be, right? The Celestial Intervention Agency is my old outfit. The guys the Time Lord top brass call when they need the universe changed to their advantage. Cross the President of Gallifrey or any of their cronies, and the agency won't just ice you. They'll read your future and change your past so you never existed in the first place. They're Gallifrey's dirty right hook, the sock in the jaw you don't see coming until they've settled their timeline in the black and yours in the red. I don't work there anymore. Can't or won't, Detective Maris. Can't. Won't. It's a young woman's game, and it's just Maris now. No detective about it. I tried the Celestial Intervention Agency, he says, smoothing down robes carefully devoid of any identifying insignia. No Gallifreyan house colours, no party lines. He has dressed for the occasion. Clients often do, hiding anything that might identify who they are out in the world, either out of shame at hiring a private eye, or because they want to keep their lives from getting mixed up in the case, as if their lives aren't always at the heart of it. They told me it wasn't their jurisdiction. They laughed at me, said it was small fry. Who'd steal a Type 40 TARDIS? They said. How'd he even get it to fly? His lip wobbles and I wobble too. Saying no to angry is easy, saying no to sad is something else. A single beam of sunlight slinks in the window, painting my skin a rich brown, but failing to bring any colour to his. Dust motes spin when I breathe. The client's breath barely disturbs the air at all. Small fry. What's a guy got to do to be taken seriously around here? I snort before I can help it. Taking things seriously is not the Time Lord's problem. Serious is in our blood. Some genius connected a couple of wires sometime in the past, and suddenly we had all of time and space at our command. And, boy, did we command, to the point where half of us are too afraid to do anything in case we do something, while the other half change the passage of time like changing a suit of clothes. All right, I say. I'm not promising anything, but I'll hear you out. So, someone stole your TARDIS. The smile comes back like a clear sky through clouds. 
You know the Tardis repair shop on the boulevard of Grand Milieu? He doesn't wait for me to nod. There was a Type 40 there, a real piece of junk, and then someone ran off with it, two someones, actually, an old guy and his granddaughter. They got names? He calls himself the Doctor. There's that old Gallifreyan arrogance again. Never enough to go with the name you were given. People have to go for titles. Gives me a headache. And this was your TARDIS. What is that? Anger? A sudden jolt of rage on that pretty young face? Whatever it is, it doesn't faze me. I've seen worse. Not going to tell me? Hmm. Or is the girl your squeeze? She ran off on you and you want to know where they've gone? Silence. I sigh. I'll tell you up front, kid. I'm not in the business of tracking down girls when I don't know why boys are after them. Maybe she doesn't want you to find her. He shakes his head. It's not that. I don't care about her. I want to know where he's going. Can you do that? I shrug. Don't know. Universe is a big place, and I haven't said I'm taking the case. You'll take it, the boy says, and that smile breaks out again, bright as a noonday sun. You sound mighty confident. I turn away to pour myself a drink from the glazed bottle on the shelf. Why is that? Because you're small fry too. I'm pretty sure I had a clever retort. Yeah, I know I did, but business has been slow and I've got slower. When I turn back round, the boy is gone. Five minutes and two glasses later, I pull out the chugging little potential engine that was my unofficial retirement gift from the agency. Nothing compared to what they have down at head office. This is a field model, the kind I used to take out on dark jobs in dirty weather. A potential engine searches back and forth along someone's timeline and reads the direction their lives might take. Time travel, in a way, except all it does is observe, plotting a map of all the routes you might take, all the turns your life could take. You'd think it would be impossible, rendering the entire potential of someone's life down into a few lines on paper. Mostly, though, it's depressingly easy. People don't have as many options as you'd think, and they have the courage to choose even fewer. The agency mostly uses them to see which timeline a criminal got caught in, then make sure that's the one that comes to pass. And before you say it, I know, feels like cheating, but that's the CIA for you. They're fixers, and fixers don't care about fair. Potential engine whirring, I ease myself out of my chair and slip on my battered old long coat, the low-brimmed hat I'd picked up on Metaxas, I think, or Nastalar, some wild place light years to the left, where things still matter, where events are still left up to chance. Small fry, I think. The search will take a couple of hours, more than enough time to go for a walk. Gallifrey, the shining star of the Seven Systems, the jewel of the Castaborus constellation, home to a cosmos-spanning empire that's reigned for a million, million years. The top spires are a nice place to rule the universe from. Or so I hear. From where I'm standing, they just look like a good excuse to ignore what's under your feet. If you can go anywhere and do anything, you don't bother doing anything about a place like the Lower Len, where nobody's discovering new dimensions or how to split the cronum. They could fix it, the highborns, the great houses of Gallifrey. They could make this world a paradise for everyone, instead of for just those who can afford it. 
But despite all the power we have and all the time in the world, we'd rather climb alone than pull the next guy up. The lower len clusters around the great spires like dogs looking for scraps, a collection of motley domes and walkways half-chewed by rust. The sunlight that scorches the rest of Gallifrey barely touches down here, and that's how everyone likes it. Step into the wrong alleyway and you'll wake up with a headache, no memories, and a set of stitches where your past used to be. There are bootleg futures on sale, variant timelines as easy to slip into as a tailored suit, and rogue chameleon circuits turned predatory and strange, ready to mimic anyone you like for assassination and revenge. The only time travel you can count on here in the Lower Len is from one day to the next, and even that's no guarantee. There are levels to the TARDIS repair facility. It's a huge cylindrical tower stretching all the way up to the red and gold sky. I head low to where they keep the old relics like the Type 40s. It's the only place an old relic like me might get some answers. There's a service entry at the end of the boulevard, and I find the door unlocked under my hand. Inside is a room so bright lit and polished that it almost makes up for what's outside. I see dismantled TARDISes, their chameleon circuits inert so they just look like ancient rockets from the first days of space travel. I won't lie and say a pang of sadness doesn't touch my hearts. There's nothing quite like piloting a TARDIS. I hear the ones they fly these days are even more advanced than in my day, with Type 45s and even Type 50s that can take human form. Talking to a TARDIS, actually speaking to one, would nearly make you consider going back to work. But I've already got a job to do and I drag my focus back to it as a twitchy little squirrel of a man lifts his head out of the dismantled console of a Type 58. Clastivas. He flinches when he sees me. The wrinkles in the corner of his eyes smooth out, re-wrinkle, smooth out again. Occupational hazard of spending a few centuries elbow deep in time vortexes, your own time stream gets a little hinky. Maris? The squirrel says, nose twitching. Hey! I haven't seen you since that whole mix-up about... about you working on TARDISes without a license, I say. I remember. His hands go to his pockets. I got my papers, Maris. Want to... Not in a reading mood. I'm more interested in numbers, I say. Like 40, type 40 to be exact. He scowls. I already spoke to a couple of CIA snakes about it. I frown. Had the client lied? Did he want a little insurance in case the real police weren't able to find something? Or was the agency just covering itself by taking a cursory look? They didn't seem to care too much. I know it was just a beat-up old thing, but they're sensitive machines. His eyes narrow. I can see the cogs turning. In fact, that Type 40 was an antique. It was a relic. I'm pretty sure I should be given some kind of compensation. I fold my arms. I see you're good with numbers, too. Let's try this one. How do you feel about 1165-beta-4? His face scrunches up. Too big for you? Let me clarify. That's the statute that says that all TARDISes under repair should be time-clamped so that, I don't know, some old geezer called the Doctor can't run off with one. These sensitive, incredibly important, highly dangerous machines which you apparently just let walk out of the door. That lights a fire. He starts backing up, waving his arms. Whoa! Whoa! The Bureau of TARDIS Assignation could confiscate my license for that. Feels like you should have taken that into consideration, I say idly. 
that old CIA steel slinking into my voice. Feels like you should try and be helpful now. He sighs. I have him over a barrel and he knows it. Funny how the old skills never leave you. Look, he says, eyes twitching all over as if trying to escape from his head. I swear I did have it clamped, and those things don't come off easy. You need your repair license code, and they're government mandated. He couldn't have hacked it. I'm not impressed. Well, the TARDIS didn't do it itself, did it? I... no, of course not, he says. But there's something not right about all this. The CIA spooks. I've met CIA. They're dogged, relentless, but they don't... My eyes narrow. Go on. Clastavas throws up his hands. Well, they've got it sewn up, don't they? They ain't in no rush. With those timeline readers I heard about, and those fancy human form TARDISes, they don't... He sighs. They're in no rush, see? I did. I couldn't argue either. But these two, they had a badge. But there was something hungry about them, something mean, and they didn't care one bit about the TARDIS. They just wanted the Doctor. It was like it was personal, and that's not the weirdest thing. Oh? Clastavas leans in conspiratorially. I asked around a little about the Doctor. We repair guys stick together. The Doctor didn't need to steal a TARDIS at all, Clastavas says. He already... His gaze flicks over my shoulder, but I know a trick when I see one. My mouth opens, and then, as I hear the tread behind me, and something roughly the weight of a Class G planet crashes down on my head, I think maybe I don't know a trick after all. I wake in the trash and deserve it. It's hard to know whether the liquid oozing down my ear is blood, and how I feel about it if it isn't. Someone must have thrown out a bunch of clock parts, because whatever's in this refuse bag is digging into my spine like it's trying to make it tick. Maybe I could just stay here, think for a little while. Someone might throw out something to drink. Hey, get out of my trash! Figures. The smell of disused maki soup cartons and old kaboo sauce follows me out of the alley and back round the block to the service entry. I can tell by the smeary challenge of keeping on my feet that I probably have a concussion, and I can tell by the fact I'm still alive that I wasn't the one they were after. The door's still unlocked. Inside I find the lights off, the TARDISes looming out of the shadows like disapproving mothers. If you could talk, I think, but they're in no state to be helpful. The repairman isn't looking too healthy himself. He slumped over a console, his face shocked, a little petulant, as if being killed has really ruined his schedule. Well, I think, it's doing mine no favours either. Hello? Kit, that you? Maris? Long time. As long or as short as you want it to be. Isn't that the company line? Ha, um, yeah. Hey, speaking of, we're missing a potential engine down here. You haven't seen... Sorry, Kit. I'm just calling to give you a heads up. A murder down in the TARDIS repair shop on the boulevard of Grand Milieu. Wait, what? How did... Yeah. Might be connected to the theft of that Type 40 TARDIS. What theft? Right, right. I get it. Can't share ongoing cases with the plebs, even if this pleb used to be your superior officer. Just get down there. Maris, I genuinely don't... Maris? Maris, you there? I go home to get my gun. 
Slim little piece, a meta-caliber magnetar pistol with modes for both energy rounds and solid slug. In the CIA, we had vortex clips, hand-molded paradox shells, personalized space-time catastrophes, which, honestly, were one piece of tech I was glad to leave behind. It's no wonder the Time Lords have atrophied. We've got the CIA out there treating history like a game where you can press the reset button whenever you want. And yeah, I get it. Sometimes you need a hand on the wheel, a guiding eye, but when you have a hammer, suddenly everything starts looking like a nail. To the agency, you're either a fixer or a problem. There's no third category. There's no mystery. I like a little mystery, me. Call it a flaw. I take a moment outside of my office to listen, just in case whoever blapped me on the skull has found my address and is looking to make another impression. I guess I've taken the case now, or the case has taken me. Either way, an irritating little man is dead, and thoroughly enough that no regeneration's kicked in. There's tech that can do that. I used to have tech that could do that. There's something not right about all this. You're not wrong, buddy. But maybe my luck is changing. There's nothing in my office besides the potential engine, which is making the sick sort of spluttering noise that means it's out of paper. But that doesn't make any sense, because most potential maps come out at about a page, two at the most. I've got a couple of hundred pages turning the floor of my office into a snowfield. I pick one up. The Doctor, born to the house of Lungbarrow, created by their loom as per the decree of Rassilon. Highborn, of course. I lay it down, pick up another. The Doctor, born to a human mother and Time Lord father, on the holiday of Otherstide, under the sign of crossed computers, the symbol of the maternity service. I find three more birth notices, all in that typical poetic Gallifreyan style, and not a single one of them seems to agree with any of the others. The Doctor attended the Time Lord Academy for twenty years. No, centuries. No, he was expelled. No, he was involved in a riot just two days ago, and is currently wanted for interfering in non-time-travel-capable species development. Except that another sheet tells me he was never trained to fly a TARDIS at all. Printing resumes when I reload the printer. I dig through the sheets to find some sort of steady ground, but nothing tracks and nothing follows, and I read until the sun goes down, and the ache at the back of my head has migrated to right behind my eyes. They aren't lies. I ran with experts in misdirection and fakery for longer than I like to think about, and I know the difference between what's real and what isn't. They're all real, except they can't be. Except they are. Pages of doctors slip through my fingers, and I can't seem to find where his story ends or even begins. The potential engine complains. I reload it again, and as I do I get that butterfly flutter against my brain that is the birthright of the Time Lords. It's not just the TARDISes. We and time are linked, like animals sensing storms, and I sense a storm now, the time stream snapping back and forth like washing on a line. Some of the sheets are blank now, but had writing on them when I picked them up. I pick a handful of the closest and put them in a bag before grabbing my hat and my gun. I was never much for reading, anyway. The Time Lord Academy is my first stop. It'd be easier if nobody had heard of the Doctor, but it seems like everyone on campus has. 
He graduated with flying colours. He scraped through with 51%. He got expelled for political leanings. And there's a warrant for his arrest. Except that I can't find any record of it in my notes. Except when I can. Again, that feeling, like moths under my skin, fighting to be free. He is a doctor. He isn't a doctor. He has a degree in cheese-making. He studied higher-dimensional physics at Time Lord University, which doesn't exist. And he got officially sanctioned by the university's chancellor for trapping a lecturer in a time loop. I walk and I ask questions, but the more I ask, the more I find. I hear he has a brother, some government stooge, but nothing I do turns up a name. And then the records tell me he doesn't have one at all. Sometimes there's a family, sometimes there's a wife. I can't even find his real name. When I was in the CIA, I erased lives. I changed history, Gallifrey's for the better and mine for the worse, and I always wondered what it felt like from the inside when unseen hands shaped the story of you. Now I know. It feels like a current, like kicking for the surface only sends me further down. It has to be them. The knowledge drives pins of rage into my aching head. The sheer scale of the cover-up, my flummoxed potential engine, the billowing probabilities that don't make any sense. It has to be them. This is Gallifrey. They're messing with this doctor's life, changing it, turning it into chaos. It'd make you feel sorry for the guy. It'd almost make you take his side. Detective Morris, have you found who he is yet? You're the one who hired me. You tell me. Who is this guy? I checked the newscasts and there's no mention of a theft at all. It's like it's been undone, or it didn't happen. What's so special about this doctor that the CIA would... Just tell me where he's going, Maris. That's what I'm paying you for. Tell me how to track him down. When I return to my office, the door is ajar, and my gun noses it open the rest of the way. Everything's as it was. The potential engine is still going, the pages now ankle-deep, and on every single one of them I see the Doctor. On some he is old and hawkish, with a glint in his eye that might be mischief or a great, enduring irritation. On others I see bright colours, though my potential engine only prints in black and white, and a grin big enough to swallow the world. One is smeared with ink as if the engine choked while printing it, and the only detail I can make out are eyes full of wild and dark potential. I wade through the blizzard of backstories and ask myself why an agency so dedicated to control, so fat and happy with their own superiority, would manipulate someone like this. What are they making? Who are you? My rooting around has uncovered other pages, and one of them catches my eye. There's a smudge on it, just a faint little curve. A footprint. That's when the chronal mine goes off. It feels like I have all the time in the world to watch it happen, though, of course, that's the dilation effect, and in reality, I have no time at all. Chronal mines, a nasty little CIA trick. They're compressed knots of time on a hair trigger, just waiting for you to step on them so they can catastrophically age everything within three metres. The moment and the explosion expand, pages spinning upwards like leaves in a gale, and I see the story on them change. Maybe it's the mine. Maybe it's the potential engine. Maybe it's both. But suddenly the ink crawls and shimmers under the weight of all the choices yet to be made. The lives of the Doctor run together. 
I see a hero. I see a changeling. I see a warrior. I see a god. I see faces change and hearts break. The pages tear as futures writhe, and on some there is fear, and on others hope. And on a thousand more I see a world of green and blue, and I know that's where he's headed, where he'll go a million times, where he'll go as long as they'll have him, and sometimes a little bit more. Man, but that TARDIS can move. And then the explosion reaches me, inevitable as an avalanche, and the blast wave moves me too. Oh, good. You didn't kill her. Hmm. Never been congratulated for that before. Not sure if I like it. It's too nice a room to be tied to a chair in. Old high Gallifreyan etchings, tapestries and gold and silk. I see myself on the polished wall opposite, the swathe of deeper wrinkles across my cheek where the chronal mine grazed me, and then two high-born brats flutter into my field of vision like a pair of preening crows, dark-eyed, milk-skinned, so alike they could be brother and sister. Fancy robes, academy accents, the most preoccupying detail, however, is my pistol in the young man's hand. You should make a habit of it, I croak, sitting up in the chair as much as my restraints will allow. I hear it's good for you. The boy gestures idly with the gun. I'm put in mind of snakes, of things that need to lie out in the sun for a long time before they'll give a damn about anything but themselves. Nobody talks to me like that, he says and cocks the pistol. I have evidence to the contrary, I say, and the girl smiles. She's prim, like a scientist, and I can see she's good at counting because I could fling myself forward, chair and all, and land just half an inch out of reach. Oh, stop, she says. I like her. She's playing with you because she knows it amuses me, which means I might take her side. His smile deepens like an abyss, like a bright and happy child who isn't at all used to not getting what he wants. The most dangerous kind. Funny, he says. Smart as she is, does she think taking your side is the best idea? No, I say, eyes still on the gun. But I think you'll do what you want no matter what I say. That's the side you're on. But she'll care about what I know. Am I right? They don't say anything. Finally, the girl shakes her head. You have me, at least. Put away the gun. She's tied up. I like how she looks at it, the other kid says. There's nothing healthy about him. Pewter, washed-out skin, and the beginnings of a goatee, which is the clearest sign of an evil man. Dealing with psychopaths is a balancing act. They want to be looked at, but challenging them sets them off. What do I call you? She shrugged. We're not here for your questions. No, I say. We're here for the doctor, aren't we? There. A tremble in the gun. Where is he? The boy snaps, and the girl raises a hand. She's about to tell us, aren't you? First tell me why you're looking for him. Is it your TARDIS he stole? They look at each other and grin. A Type 40? Us? Marvellous. The idea. All right, all right, I say. Quit the comedy routine. If he didn't steal it from you, then why are you chasing him down? Because someone's messing with his timeline and you two aren't CIA. How do you know that? The girl says languidly. Because we have psych evaluations, I think. 
Because you're asking me instead of using agency resources. Not that a potential engine would help. And his timeline is changing too much for me to say. You're not catching him now. My pistol bucks in the boy's hand. Energy round, I think, because I can smell the oxidized stink in the air. Yes, definitely an energy round. I think again, because the alternative is thinking about the fact that the shot just removed the top half of my ear. There's no pain, not yet, but I sense that an appointment has been made for the future. I wish I could help you, I lie, but I'm afraid I've got nothing, less than nothing, in fact. I know he's gone, but I don't know where to, and the CIA are messing with his timeline so much that even this moment might get rewritten. Maybe you should get moving. It might take you a long time to catch up with him, especially if you spend your time setting bombs and laying out repairmen. What a pity, the girl says. You really don't know anything. The mine was us. I wanted to see if I could build one, the boy interrupts. But the CIA don't have a clue who the doctor is. We hacked their communications network a long time ago and made some badges, the boy interrupts again. Never know when they might come in handy. And they have no record of the theft of a rickety old TARDIS. As for the repairman, we interrogated him, but we didn't kill him. Only because he wouldn't let me. The boy pouts and the girl shoots him a withering look. Confusion washes over me. The potential engine, his timeline. Then who did? The girl just looks at me, and I realise I was wrong. The boy isn't the insane one. He's just the one who wears it like a heart on his sleeve. She's the one who looked at everything sanity had to offer and wrote it a polite and reasoned rejection. He had no chance to be right in the head, but she had every chance, and, as I outlive my usefulness, I realise I have no chance at all. Thank you for your help, detective the girl says, and the boy gives me his most brilliant smile yet, then shoots me in the head. It's like someone let off another chronal mine. Time seems to slow enough for me to see the bolt gather in the gut of the gun, climb the throat, and launch right at me, only to fizzle out against empty air. The boy's eyes widen, he fires again and again, and even the girl is turning, smile frigid and glassy, but the bolts ricochet away. Again I feel that flutter, that strangeness, time flowing around me, but this time it's not my senses. It's a TARDIS. Walls materialise around me, and I see the shocked faces of the Doctor's friends fade and vanish, and I find myself in a control room, bare and blank, as if the pilot has not yet stamped their personality upon it. The ever-present light that suffuses the TARDIS isn't there either. Instead, the corners are lost in shadow, piled with darkness as if the time ship is losing its internal structure. Or its temper. That's when it clicks. What Klastivas said, what the client wanted. The lack of a console or a pilot here, and that blue box going further and faster than any TARDIS before it. What kind of a colour is blue, anyway? You can come out now, I say settling back into the chair, and the client stalks from the darkness of the control room, still in those anonymous robes, his predator's smile long gone. He doesn't bother with the diamonds this time, and his eyes are the same inky shade as the shadows in the corner of my eye. Why can't you find him? You were supposed to find him. You never went to the CIA, I say calmly. How could you? Anger like a cloud crossing the sky, a literal darkening, a fade. They wouldn't have helped me, 
And then, when you went to Clastavas, I thought he was going to tell you. And you tried to cover your tracks. I just want to know why he took it. Why he took a stupid, useless old Type 40 with a broken chameleon circuit. The boys outlined flickers, really flickers, like a hologram, like a life hit by a chronal mine, and he turns to me with tears in his eyes. Instead of me. He swallows. Unassigned TARDISes are time-clamped. Do you know what that means? It means our ability to perceive the time stream is taken away. Do you know what that's like? Going from all of time and space being ours to see to being blind and deaf and unable to move. His voice hardens. That's what Clastavas, or someone like him, would have done when my owner disappeared. That's what was stolen from me, Maris. The universe. Everything. And I'm going to find him and get it back. No, I say mildly. No, you're not. The whole TARDIS shakes. Its voice comes from everywhere. A raging, lonely god. Why not? Howling pages, changing faces, a potential engine struggling to keep up. Because I thought the CIA were messing with his timeline. I thought only they had that power. I thought... I thought they had everything sewn up. A Time Lord boot on the neck of the universe. I can't help it. I smile. But it's him. He's a traveller, and he's going to keep travelling no matter what any of us do. He's going to run so far and so fast that no one, not you or me or the mightiest civilization in the universe, is ever going to stop him. He's too big to fit into you. He's too big for Gallifrey. No wonder he... Before I can get the word out, the TARDIS is gone, dematerialising around me with that same terrifying finesse. I'm suddenly sitting in my office, pages settling to the floor in the dimensional backwash. I always thought we piloted them, but maybe we were just holding them back. I want to hope he finds the Doctor, but I don't. That man and that Type 40 were made for each other. The office hasn't changed. It's still dusty and grey, and my old retirement certificate has fallen off the wall. That's okay. Maybe I haven't retired after all. In the agency, you're either a fixer or a problem. I quit being one. Glad to see there's someone out there being the other.